We're going to go live to Riverside County. The DA there has uh, started this news conference about the house in Paris where those 13 kids were found. To her left, managing deputy district attorney John Henry is the supervisor of the special victims unit. And to his left, director of our victim services, Melissa Donaldson. Thank you all for coming today. I'm, I'm here to announce uh, that this morning the Riverside County District Attorney's Office filed criminal charges against David and Louise Turpin. You know that as the Paris child abuse case. What I would like to do today is first tell you what we've charged and the potential consequences of those charges, uh, and then tell you a little bit about the why we charged the case and give you a snapshot of some of the evidence. Um, of course, I do want to tell you up front, and I'll probably mention it again, this is an ongoing investigation. We are at the beginning, not the end. Uh, we do have enough information to go forward and file charges, and that's what we'll be discussing today. <clears throat> the charges that we filed are the following. We have filed 12 counts of, of violation of Penal Code Section 206, against both David and Louise Turpin, that is torture. We filed one count of a violation of Penal Code Section 288B1 against David Turpin, which is lewd act on a child by force or fear or duress. We filed seven counts of violation of Penal Code Section 368B1, which is abuse of a dependent adult. We filed six counts of 273AA, which is child abuse or, or neglect. We have filed 12 counts of false imprisonment. The, the, the date range of these charges, they range from uh, 2010 to the present. And the physical location, of course, is in Riverside County, uh, alleged to have occurred uh, in Murrieta and also Paris. If convicted of these charges, if convicted of all of these charges as currently filed, uh, these defendants are facing up to 94 years to life in prison. The case has been moved to Department 54 of the Riverside County Courthouse, and we will be asking for bail to, uh, to be set as schedule. What that means is the normal bail given what we have filed and that will be our request that bail be set at $13 million per defendant. Now what I'll do is tell you a little bit about the why and give you some snapshot of the facts of this case. Uh, it, is, it is just that. It is just a snapshot. And I will afterwards, I will open it up for questions, and I'll do the best I can to answer your questions. But as you, as you probably know, there, there, are, there is much we still don't know. And there are many things I, I can't answer. So, um, so, th so these are the facts. Uh, first, a quick caveat. As I've said, it is an ongoing investigation. It is a detailed investigation. We're going to go about this the way we always do, meticulously and carefully. As we always say here at the office, it's more important that we get it right than it is to do it fast. We're fully prepared to seek justice in this case and do so in a way that protects these victims from further harm. So the brief overview, uh, I'm providing a brief overview, overview to you of the facts uh, in the hope that anyone with additional information about these defendants 
about these victims, about these crimes, will come forward and, and talk to the district attorney's office. This, these individuals, first what I want to tell you is these individuals uh, sleep all day and are up all night. The, the, all 13 of the victims, uh, including and including the defendants, typically go to sleep around 4 or 5 in the morning, uh, sleep all day, and then be up all through the night. The victims report that as a punishment, starting many years ago, they began to be tied up, first with ropes. One victim at one point was tied up and hog-tied. And then when that victim was able to escape the, the ropes, uh, these defendants eventually began using chains and padlocks to chain up the victims to their beds. These, as I said, these were, were a form of punishment meted out on these children and these adults. These punishments would last for weeks or even months at a time. The evidence is that three victims were chained up at the time the police first knocked on the door at the home in Paris. The defendants were able to get two of the victims unchained before the police actually entered. An 11 and 14-year-old were unchained as the police stood at the door, while a 22-year-old remained chained to a bed when the police entered the home. Circumstantial evidence in the house suggests that the victims were often not released from their chains to go to the, to the bathroom. The 17-year-old victim that escaped had been working on a plan with her siblings to escape this abuse for more than two years. She escaped through a window and took one of her siblings with her. That sibling eventually turned back, became frightened and turned back, and went back into the house. The neglect and abuse started when the family lived in, Fort Worth, in the Fort Worth area of Texas, with the parents at one point living apart from most of the children and dropping off food from time to time. The defendants lived in Texas for 17 years. In 2010, they moved to Murrieta, California, and in 2014, moved to their current residence in Paris, California, both, of course, in Riverside County. The abuse and severe neglect intensified over time and intensified as they moved to California. All the victims have now been examined by doctors and medical professionals. All the victims were and are severely malnourished. Specifically, severe caloric malnutrition associated with muscle wasting. To give you an example, one of the children at age 12 is the weight of an average seven-year-old. The 29-year-old female victim weighs 82 pounds. Several of the victims have cognitive impairment and neuropathy, which is nerve damage, as a result of this extreme and prolonged physical abuse. None of the victims were allowed to shower more than once a year. I want to give you a quick example. Um, one of the reasons for the and this is all alleged conduct, I do want to mention that. One of the reasons for these punishments of being chained up to a bed were that, um, and, and by the way, the punishments included frequent beatings and even strangulation. 
One of the uh, reasons for the punishments were if the children were found to wash their hands above the wrist area, they were accused of playing in the water, and they would be chained up. None of the victims have seen a doctor in more than four years. None of the victims have ever seen a dentist. The children were, when they were not chained up, locked in different rooms and fed very little on a schedule. They were not allowed to have toys, although there were many toys found in the house that were in their original package and had never been opened. Supposedly homeschooled, the children lacked even, they lack a basic knowledge of life. Many of the children didn't know what a police officer was. The 17-year-old, when asked if there was medication or pills in the home, didn't know what medication or pills were. About the only thing the children were allowed to do in their rooms or chained up was to write in journals. We now have recovered those journals, hundreds of them, and we are combing through them for evidence. One other thing, the parents would apparently buy food for themselves, uh, and not allow the children to eat it. They would buy food, including pies, apple pies, pumpkin pies, leave it on the counter, let the children look at it, but not eat the food. It's a very complex case. It's important that we gather and analyze this evidence. Based on the information I've shared with you today, it's my hope that members of the public will come forward with any information about this family or these crimes that could aid us in this ongoing investigation and case. If anyone out there has additional information, please call Senior Investigator Wade Walsvik at 951-955-5400, and I'll provide his email uh, later. I do want to uh, say a note of, of thanks to the Sheriff's Department. Uh, they've conducted a professional and excellent investigation, and we're working very closely with Sheriff's investigators. I do also want to mention, before I open it up for questions, uh, this case is, is going to be handled in a sensitive way. We're, as I said, we're fully prepared to seek justice, but we have to do it in a way that protects these victims. They have been um, severely hurt and damaged, and we, we, we cannot cause them any further damage. At this time, I want to call up Melissa Donaldson. Melissa Donaldson is the director of our Victim Services Division. just want to have her say a few words about uh, our response, the district attorney's response from the victim side. We're listening to a news conference out of Riverside County. The 13 kids, some adults, found in that Victim one home. Services provide, provide services to the victims of all crime types. In specific, these victims, there are so many that are minors and adults. We're going to be having three advocates that will be assisting and providing services to these children and adults. As Mike described, there are multiple issues with all these children, and they are going to take long-term help. Our victim advocates will go to court, they will work with CPS, and we will provide long-term and short-term services to make sure that they are not re-victimized and that we can help them move as far ahead on their health as we can. We also have a crisis response team that we've developed here in the DA's office, and those victim advocates are specially trained in mass casualty and victimization, and those staff are ready in serving the victims as well. Okay, at this time I'll, I'll take questions. Yes. The lewd act is in reference to um, just that, a lewd act that, that we're alleging that um, David Turpin touched 
uh, one of the victims in a lewd way by using force or fear. I'd be speculating at this point. We are looking into all of those things, and that's part of the ongoing nature of the investigation. Why did they do this? Why did they do this? You know, um, I don't know that I can answer that completely, but I'll tell you that as a prosecutor, there are there are cases that stick with you that haunt you, and you know sometimes in this business we're faced with looking at human depravity, and that's what we're looking at here. Not that I know of. Yes. Hold on. I'm gonna I'm gonna call out people. It appears that no one noticed what was happening. Part of that is what I shared with you at the very beginning: is that the family, these individuals, slept all day, uh, and were up in the middle of the night all night. They were up all night, all of them, uh, not just the parents. Yes. Yes, we're looking at that. Not totally clear at this point, but we do know that the, the um, David Turpin did have a job. He was employed. They did have money coming in. They were able to buy things. Uh, they bought a lot of toys that they never opened. Uh, they bought other things. They bought food that they ate and that didn't share with their children. Yes. Yes, so at least one of the older victims attended uh, classes. I don't know uh, about full college experience, but attended classes. Uh, what we know so far is that um, Louise Turpin would, would accompany him, wait outside of the classroom for him. Uh, when he was finished with class, she would take him home. Yes. This is severe emotional, physical abuse. There's no way around that. This is depraved conduct. Yes, sir. Because it's a good question. We are not charging torture on the two-year-old. Uh, the two-year-old. Don't know why, but the the. the I, apparently, the two-year-old was getting enough to eat, uh, so we're not going to charge uh, torture against the two-year-old. The, the basis of our torture charge is is not just one thing, but it's a combination of severe abuse over time. Yes, sir. No, I cannot do that. Sorry. Yes, sir. The situation with the kids, when they're able to leave a hospital, will they be put in the foster care system? Will you treat them differently? And can you describe right now they're, they're relieved, I will say that. Um, they're in good hands. They're being cared for. They're all in the hospital. Their well-being is being looked at. Their health is being looked at. They're in good hands. I, as far as where they're going to end up, I don't know. Um, we are going to do everything we can to assist them uh, through our victim services division, and, and hopefully um, they'll be cared for throughout this process. Yes, sir. 
to sort of herald the, the courage that took this 17-year-old girl to get out. And, yeah. and you mentioned that some of the kids didn't even know what a police officer was. So can you elaborate on, on the two-year plan that they were making to, you know, clearly some of the kids must have known that you can get help, like had that kind of educational understanding? Yeah, it, you're right. I mean, there's a there's a variety, there's a range of of um, thought here. So there, that's all I can share is that there was a plan for two years. To, as to the details of what went into the plan, at this point, I don't know all the details, and that that certainly will come out in court. Let me let me go down here. Uh, you've I've already yes. Oh, I don't. We don't know. I don't know exactly how many times they ate a day. That'll come out later. Yes. I can't comment about that. Yes, sir. I think they will be very significant. I think those journals are uh, going to be strong evidence of what occurred in that home. Has there been a range of uh, reaction for the kids? The older kids seemingly wanting to go back with their family versus the younger kids perhaps being more open to getting away from their family? Not really, no. The, the kids are relieved, yes. I'm sorry. You mentioned that the 17-year-old applied the escape. Why was the 17-year-old and not the older kids who may have plotted to try to get away? Well, uh, I, I don't know. I'd be speculating. And would you say that they were brainwashed? I don't know. I'd be speculating to answer that question like that. Let me go over here. Yes. Mike, you mentioned uh, there was another sibling that escaped initially with the 17-year-old. Yes. Can you elaborate more on that, the age of that sibling, and, and why she perhaps turned back? She was frightened. That's all I can say. Is it there, there were two of them that left the house. One of them turned back because she was frightened. And what was the age of the second sibling? Uh, I'm, I'm not going to comment on that. Anything else? Yes. Well, the, the charge is lewd act uh, under a child 14 under a child 14 years of age. So it would be under 14 years of age. No, I'm not going to identify. Did you get any reaction that the kids had? No. Other than I'm just going to tell you they're relieved. Yes. Right now, we are charging one count of lewd act. This is an ongoing investigation. I will tell you this, that if, if our investigation uncovers more crime, we will charge more offenses. Sir, was that to a female or a male? It's to a female. It's a mental, it's a mental capacity of the parents going to play a role in this? I mean, are they sort of voluntarily doing this? Are they I can't answer that question. I can't answer that question. Yes. Well, the, the, I'm not going to comment on that. I, the, it's not when I said I wanted to protect these victims, that doesn't mean they won't testify in court. It means that we want to protect them from being exploited. We want to protect them from um, being further traumatized by what they're, what they're going through now. Yes. Go ahead. I know it's difficult to quantify or measure it. I've covered a lot of abuse cases out here, as you know. Most of them turned out deadly. In terms of this particular case, was there any time, any point where any of these children or the adults were, were near death? Or was there the, the type of abuse that was allegedly inflicted? Could that have induced it to would have died? Not that I know of. I'm not, not to minimize it at all. The, the abuse was horrific and over time, but it, this is prolonged abuse. that did involve beatings and strangulation, so certainly it, it, there was violence in the home, but we're, we're looking at kids being chained up to their beds. Yes, sir. Uh, in their home, they were 
home in Texas, you mentioned that they would leave them for long periods of time um, and only come back to provide them food. Do they know where they went during those period, that period of time, and how were they not able to escape at the time? Were they actually live apart? Yes, as far as we know, they lived apart for a time. We are. That's one of the reasons why we've... We're giving these, this information, this snapshot. We're asking for the public's help, not only here in California, but in Texas. Someone must have seen something. Someone must have noticed something. We need your help. No, I can't. I'm sorry. Yes. Yes, it does. And uh, the first question, please, is it here, is it the uh, victimization increased as they got younger or decreased, or is there a range? Uh, I, what, the way I can answer that is to say the victimization uh, appeared to intensify over time. So it, it was what started out as neglect became severe, pervasive, prolonged child abuse. Do you believe these people should ever walk the streets again? No. Uh, two questions. Do we know if the children were born uh, in a hospital at home? We believe they were born in hospitals. Second, uh, on a personal level, when dealing with a horrendous case like this, how do you, how does your team, you know, work through it without, I guess, mixing emotions and, you know, with the law? Well, I mean, we're not, we're not robots. And, you know, this is difficult for everybody that, that sees these images and hears these stories. So it, it, it breaks our heart. But we're professionals. And, and our goal here is to seek justice, protect the rights of the accused. That's another thing that we have to uh, concern ourselves with and protect these victims. All right, we're going to break away here from this press conference there in Riverside by the DA about, oh, my gosh, the torture and the hell that these kids have lived in for their entire lives. Uh, just to recap, the snapshot that he gave us, as he called it, oh, just horrific. Um, they slept all day. They were up all night. They would go to bed at uh, 4 a.m. or 5 a.m., and then they'd be up all night. And that goes to the uh, the neighbor at one point who said that he would see them marching back and forth in the middle of the night. As a punishment, they were tied up with ropes at first. Uh, one of the victims was hogtied and was able to escape those ropes, so that's when mom and dad began using chains and padlocks to change them, chain them to beds. It was a form of punishment, they said, that would last for weeks or months at a time. The interesting thing that he pointed out also, the three victims, we heard this in the news conference yesterday, the three victims were chained up at the time that the cops showed up, but there were two of them that were able to get out of their restraints, and there was only one who was still chained up when the when the uh, officers finally made their way into the Mom house. Mom and dad were able to get those two unchained because they knew that that was wrong. That's what I got from what he said. Oh, really? Yeah. I, the way I took it was they figured out how to get out of their chains. Like they knew oh, somebody yeah. was coming like, hey, our sister left. And that was the other part about it. The 17-year-old we know made the 911 call and was the one who led deputies to the house. She had escaped with one of her siblings. That there were two of them who originally escaped the house but one got scared and turned back and went back. Apparently, the siblings had been working on a plan to escape for two years. One of the other big uh, bombshells, I guess you could call it, that came out was when they were in Texas, the parents lived away from all the kids, that they would drop off food peri- periodically. Um, the 29-year-old weighs 82 pounds. 
That's just- a 12-year-old is the weight of a 7-year-old. That they uh, Many of them have nerve damage that goes on with prolonged abuse. They didn't know what a police officer was. They didn't know what medication was. They have very little knowledge of the world. Uh, it's just insane. He um, described we will... it, uh, Mike, Mike Heston, the DA in Riverside County, described it as severe emotional and physical abuse. This was depraved contact, uh, conduct and that these kids are relieved. They that wouldn't. Was, they weren't that allowed. Was a concern. They they weren't allowed to have food other than very little on a schedule. But mom and dad would buy food for themselves to eat. Sometimes he said they would leave a pie out on the table, and let the kids see the pie, smell the pie, but would not let them eat it. They weren't allowed to have toys. But there were several toys that had never been opened found in the house. So they were using all of these things to control those kids for thirty years, and no. No reason why. None that we know of. I mean... Oh, they're sick bastards. Well, they're sick, but what sort of mental... Um, I don't know. What sort of... What, what were, Did they think they were protecting their kids, or were they just... No, there was no goodwill that went into this. These were sick people that got off on screwing over their kids every day. It's depraved was the perfect word. And, the, and then if you see after the two or three kids that you get enjoyment out of doing this, then you have more and more so you can deprave even more it's of them. It's all about control. Them. Control, control, control. And I bet mom and dad's uh, homes they grew up in, there's some stories that probably came out of there yeah. too. Uh, so 13, uh, I think I counted 40 counts. There's There's 12 counts of torture and 12 counts of false imprisonment against both of them. Six counts of child abuse and neglect and seven counts of abuse of a uh, dependent adult. So that's uh, 24 and 13. That's uh, 37. And then add that one count of lewd act on a child under 14 against dad, who is accused of touching at least one of the the younger girls. All right. Let's give away uh, some money before we move on here. Let's cleanse our pals just a little bit. Justin Warsham is going to join us in a few minutes. But we have $1,000 to give away. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword money to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's money to 200-200. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. Gary and Shannon. KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. Well, we will revisit all the latest details that we learned out of Riverside coming up in the 12 o'clock hour afternoon there. Yeah, the basics of it, just that the DA has come out, explained uh, either 37 or 38 counts, depending on its mom or dad, uh, against David and Louise Turpin for holding their kids captive for years. Uh, The prosecutors are also going to ask for a million dollars bail for each child. So $13 million bail is what they're asking for. Uh, probably today in court is what we understand that they should be there in one thirty. So more of the details that came out uh, next hour. But on Thursdays, we bring in Justin Worsham from the dadpodcast.com. Justin's spoken with hundreds of Thousand, experts. I would say thousands of experts. Okay. Some have said that. Okay. Some have said that. Very, very many experts on parenting and dadding. <laughs> And we are talking about uh, parenting myths today. You know, the things that your parents tell you. Gosh, it's just hard to do this story after that press conference. You know, because some of the parenting myths are things that your parents tell you to uh, not control you, but to 
control an aspect of your behavior? They're, they want to educate you so you don't get in trouble. Mm-hmm. How's that? They want to keep you out of trouble. And there's a difference between controlling with chains and ropes yes, and just giving you some knowledge that may help control your behavior, but not necessarily as a punishment. Trying to nuance this in a way that we yeah, it's, slowly slide no, away I from get, that. Yeah, because the the thing about the secondary uh, level of bad that comes out of this, obviously the the first one is what happened to those poor kids, right? But the secondary thing is that in parents, whenever these kinds of stories come out after you have kids, I'm sure you would agree with this, Gary. And not that it changes. I don't know. It's I feel like it's unfair for people who don't have kids to say, well, I don't think this is as tragic, but... I noticed when I had my son that anything that involved kids and something that was bad impacted me very differently. And whenever you have these horrible stories that come up, thankfully every so often and not all the time, is that parents, I think, sometimes over-internalize it. And parents who are working hard to take care of their kids and just want something good think that anytime they do something negative with their kid, it's somehow even close to being on the same level of this horrible abuse. And that's, that's not the truth. No, and that's not and, what we're talking about here. I, yeah. We're talking about like the Genesis of me coming in with this was that I was sitting with my son and he was reading a book he'd gotten over the holiday and he hadn't had the light on. And so I turned the light on and I said, you know, you got, you can't read in the dark. It's bad for your eyes. And then I was like, wait, is it? Or is it? Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so or don't did, sit too close to the television. Exactly. And so, uh, so I looked it up and actually there is research that says that, uh, it is not bad for your eyes to sit close to the television or to read in the dark, that the only thing is it could strain your eyes and maybe cause a headache, but it does not weaken your vision or affect your vision. And in fact, usually if your kid is sitting close too close to the television, it's a sign that they're nearsighted and you should have their eyes checked. Not that they're actually ruining their vision. So what else? What are the other myths? Uh, the most common one and the one that I was uh, the most, I, in my opinion, victimized as a father uh, at the at the drop-off. I was a stay-at-home dad, so moms always treated me differently, was that if you don't have a sweater on when you go out in the cold, you're going to catch a cold. Uh, there is zero research. What about uh, the hair wet in the cold Also, thing? negative on that one. A study found in the New England Journal of Medicine that kids who do not wear jackets did not get more sick than kids who did. The best way to prevent a cold, and actually the pediatrician on the dad podcast says the same exact thing, is to frequently wash your hands. If 90, 95% of respiratory infections are caused by viruses, which are not affected by... And, oh, that's another thing. Let me get to that later. But what he basically said is if every kid in an elementary or preschool washed their hands twice a day, the amount of cold and flu infections would plummet like catastrophically. It would be almost non-existent. Well, and that's, I think that's why we saw such an increase. We see it every year, but such an increase of the flu this year right after the holidays. Yes. Everybody went back and they touched their grubby little kids and <laughs> and then went home and everybody got the flu. Yeah. Yep. Little disease pigeons is Man. what they become. And anybody who's ever started that preschool, you remember those days when you when you drop your kid off at the preschool, you think it's about education and starting their academic career. No, the no, no. first 3 weeks of preschool is all about just a crucible for their immune system. It's right. just them getting every disease <laughs> known to man. The other thing I've learned from our pediatrician on the show and I found these stats is this is what I was going to say is that 95% of respiratory infections. So this is if your kid has congestion like a cough or a sinus uh, congestion that's all viral and it's not a bacteria infection. And so a lot of people will go into their physician and say my kid's sick. Can I get some antibiotics? And the pediatrician that I have on my show, he doesn't give them unless they're necessary or unless you really, really hassle them because he doesn't think. A lo- but there are people and research that's coming out that people are taking so many antibiotics 
that all it does is cause like an accelerated evolution of the bacteria that are causing these diseases and they become like super bacteria. So make sure you're aware if your kid's sitting around for, he recommends as long as it's been like three or four days and your kid's able to retain fluid and your fever's not too high, it's better just to wait it out and there's nothing that you can do uh, to help a cold. Uh, the My grandfather may have been way ahead of his time. Uh, Blake brought this up. I researched it. No, no, I know. This is a different one. Oh. The, uh, if you kiss your elbow, you turn into a girl. <laughs> if you kiss your own elbow. Now, I don't know who would have told him that or why he thought it was funny to see five or six-year-olds. See, now that's exactly why. Because so, both Shannon and Blake right now are trying to kiss their own elbows. I can't. I was wanting to well, you turn don't into want a girl. to, do you? I don't know. That's what I, I've but, never been a girl. Maybe it's way better. It seems a lot that better. said that to my Other cousins and I, part. and man, I was just terrified. I, really? I walked with my elbows so far away from my lips. Gary Hoffman. What's wrong with being a girl? Exactly. That's not what Your I was going to say. little sissy boy? I rest my case. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what are you afraid evidently? of? <laughs> uh, but the other one was that your face would stick that way. Yes. My mom also, used to always say that. Not true, obviously. Uh, let me I see don't know, phone. because you watch all that TLC programming, and your face comes in the next day like this. Oh. Skeptical, like, what? Well, I don't want my legs to stop growing. The only explanation I could find is that this, uh, this is a doctor that was honestly asked this question, and they said, there are a few neurological disorders that can cause temporary paralysis of the face or head in a certain position, but they are involuntary and some can be treated with Botox, uh, weirdly enough. That's how that's... <laughs> but and, but not, no situation where you get slapped on the back and your face gets stuck that way. Uh, we're talking with Justin Warsham, host of the Dad Podcast, about some good parenting myths. We'll come back to a, a couple of them. I love the whiskey on the gums. Good for teething. We're doing that one and whiskey for the common cold for adults. Oh. We'll talk about that. Oh, is yeah. that a, yeah, I've wondered I about that. I did that in college a couple times. I swear it worked, but that's... We'll find out. All right. All right. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. Gary and Shannon. And our friend Justin Warsham, host of thedadpodcast.com. You can check it out at thedadpodcast.com. That's how you do it. We're talking about parental myths, those old uh, old wives' tales that parents sometimes tell their kids. Like the whiskey on the gums, it's good for your teething. I mean, yeah. you, if you take a little, little one shot for you and a little just a dab on the gums for a baby. And that seems to make perfect sense. I mean, it's going to numb it a little bit, right? Yeah. Evidently, a third of parents in a survey were aware of this as an option, but only 1.9% admitted to actually trying it. And the research says that as little as a teaspoon of alcohol for an infant is very, very bad for their liver. Evidently, their livers aren't developed at a point where they can process uh, liver. Uh, If you subscribe to... uh, my mom's philosophy, it's like, well, you got to train. You got to train. <laughs> you got to train your liver. You Get that kid in. <laughs> but here's what I found was interesting. There was a tonic, and it started in England, and it was called gripe water, and it was developed in 1851, and it contained about 3.6% alcohol. The suggested dose to a nine pound baby would be the equivalent of an adult throwing back five shots of booze. Parents didn't know about this because it, required, it wasn't required to list in the ingredients. 
It wasn't required for them to say that there's alcohol in there. And the FDA didn't shut them down. You want to take a guess as the year when the FDA shut it started in 1851. How long did it take before the Food and Drug Administration in America to figure out maybe we shouldn't be giving these kids 3.6% alcohol? 72? 1972? 1993. <laughs> well, I, now it's a, sold in an alcohol-free form. A friend of mine, a friend of mine posted a prescription uh, dated from 1962. A pediatrician wrote a prescription for a, a cough. Uh, you take a teaspoon of whiskey, a teaspoon of lemon juice, and a tablespoon of honey, and you mix it all together and you give it to your kid. A.K.A. a hot toddy. Yeah. So my grandfather's remedy for a fever with my father was to put a sleeping bag in my dad's bed, have them put on their winter clothes, give them a shot of whiskey that he would pour into a glass of milk. And my dad remembers the whiskey almost oh. curdling the milk. Oh, man. And then he would just sweat it out like he was on a vision quest. <laughs> I, I have done that before. In college, that was our, our go-to. If any of us felt sick for any reason, we would take a couple of shots and put on the biggest sweatshirts and sweatpants that we had and all the blankets on the bed and, and sweat it out. Well, according to WebMD, where I understand all things medical can right. be believed yes, and should be, absolutely. Uh, common colds cost $40 billion a year. I thought that was interesting, number one. But there is actual research, medical research, that says uh, alcohol can help with, obviously, as a pain reliever. That's why in, like, NyQuil and stuff, there is some kind of form of alcohol in a yeah. lot of the cold medications. And they say a hot toddy is the uh, best suggested home ready, even be- remedy for a common cold, even better than chicken soup. Really? Chicken soup is a myth. But they said that research shows that a hot toddy, the alcohol, helps with the um, uh, pain relief, right? And relieve the achy body that you might have with the flu. And the honey and lemon and warmth of uh, the drink helps with like a soothe a sore throat. Let's talk about the sugar thing, can we? Yes. Sugar, that sugar would make a kid hyper? Yes. Actually, a New England Journal did a study and they showed that uh, sugar had no effect on a child's behavior at any point during the day. But what I found most interesting is that what they did find is that if your kid got sugar, as a parent, you were more sensitive to their behavior. So it had a weird, like, placebo effect on the parent That's more than funny. it had the actual well, effect the on the kid's actual behavior. I could see that. The other one, I, what? Well, I was just going to say, because kids at a, you know, we, we talk about uh, birthday parties, a great example, where everyone's eating cake and candy and stuff. You're just annoyed at the fact that there's 17 little munchkins around your house being loud. And, yeah. and it's not that they're being louder or, no. you know, wilder than they would be. Just, you're totally sensitive to it at that I point. I remember as a kid, too, my parents are divorced. So every once in a while, I would go stay with my mom. And she would she would always, like, we would have sweets and stuff. and then But she would say, oh, you've had too much Pepsi, like, randomly, when she was getting frustrated with me asking her questions or something. And I remember going, but I have Pepsi at home and nobody cares. Like, I don't understand. And I think it's because I was there very little. And so she was obviously hypersensitive when it's like, all right, it's time to go to bed. You have too much Pepsi. We got to go. Uh, uh, and then finally, what about yeah. the gum in my colon? The gum in your colon, seven years, is that what you heard too? If you yeah. swallow gum? I swallow gum, it's going to stay there forever. Not true. My kid is actually past a rock. Uh, I'll tell you that after I give you this information. It's <laughs> wow. uh, that uh, what it actually happens is the sugars and on the gum are digestible, but the actual gum resin is not. And so the gum resin just will pass through with no problem. But I got the scary phone call from the preschool one time where my, and they said, we're so sorry, uh, Jacob has swallowed a rock. 
And so I go to pick him up, and he's very upset and afraid because evidently the kids had said they would have to cut open his throat to go get the rock. Well, that makes sense. Right? You know? Right? It's preschool. <laughs> right. And, uh, oh, sorry. And so anyway, he, uh, we're going there, and I said, no, son, you'll probably just, like, poop it out. I don't think they'll have to go get it, but I don't know yet. That's why we're going to go to the hospital and check. Because they couldn't tell me how big the rock was or the shape of it. They just said he came to us and said he swallowed a rock. If I had seen it, now that I have seen it, right. I would have been, oh, you're fine. But anyway, so the doctor felt around and goes, well, you're probably going to gonna have to sift through to make sure it passes. It'll probably come through tonight or tomorrow. Oh, boy. And so anyway, I God, told God, I'm feeling good about my life yeah, choice. Yeah, to lifestyle is the way to go, kids. <laughs> Leave them in the hospital. And so, but anyway, on the way to the hospital, I said, so you know, you'll probably just poop it out. And there's a beat. And then he goes, well, can I still keep it? I said, sure, bud. All so logical. Yeah. And now he wears it around so his neck. So anybody who comes to my house, if you see a little, like, kind of a quarter-shaped blue uh, polished rock, that son has been, that, that rock has been through the journey of my son's intestines. Incredible journey. You Justin, are welcome, thank you America. for leaving us with that nugget. <laughs> <laughs> Thedadpodcast.com is where you can find Justin's stuff. We'll We're doing back. more of these myths with the pediatrician on the show in an upcoming oh, episode, too. Excellent. Coming uh, up right. next, everything everyone's talking about, we will get you all caught up, caught up right here on Gary and Shannon.